The title of what I'm sharing with you this morning is a triumphal entry into our hearts. A triumphal entry into our hearts. And you can turn so long to Matthew chapter 21, and we will get there in a few moments' time. Matthew 21, we'll look at verses 1 to 17. Now, today is Palm Sunday. And uh, for those of you that are just joined us online, welcome. And this is our Palm Sunday service. So, in terms of Palm Sunday, it is the day when we celebrate how Jesus triumphantly came into Jerusalem so many years ago. It occurred on the Sunday before the crucifixion. In other words, the Sunday before Good Friday. And so, we'd like to read it today together and uh, the most comprehensive passage on the triumphal entry is found in Matthew. It's included in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the most comprehensive picture is in Matthew 21. Matthew 21, 1 to 17, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, Now, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loosen, loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Isn't it amazing how when you will obey God, you will see the provision which is about to be released. And so they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. Verse eight, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Can you imagine that? Others cut down branches from the trees. Now, the tree huggers and the, the greenies would have a problem with this, but this is what happened. <laughs> they cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the roads. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, look at this, all the city was moved. I like that phrase. Because I believe that when God enters the scene, there should be a shaking, an impact, a moving. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus came in and all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then, next thing, Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. 
And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then, next is what happened in verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. What a wonderful God we serve. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. This is the religious leaders. They were indignant. Indignant is a Greek word which means they didn't dig that. They were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. In other words, Jesus was saying, it's right what they're saying. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. And then he left and went out to the city of Bethany and he lodged there. Isn't it beautiful to read scripture? It's beautiful to read scripture. And we say the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Now, one of the things that strikes me in all of this is that Jesus came in such a humble way on that day as he entered into Jerusalem. He came as a humble servant on a donkey. He came on the clothes of poor people. Also, he came not to conquer by force, but he actually came to lay down his life as a sacrifice for all. What a humble way in which Jesus came. And I wanna tell you, there is no doubt that Jesus is the most humble example that you can ever mention. Because you know what? He emptied himself of the privileges of heaven and he came down and humbled himself to death, even to the death on the cross. And so it is so beautiful, Jesus' humility. We should praise his humility. But there's a big question when it comes to the triumphal entry. And so the question that I ask you, and the big issue is this, what is the real significance? What is the big take home? What is the real significance of Jesus in the triumphal entry? And the answer is quite frankly this, listen carefully. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, he was openly declaring that he was the long-awaited King and Messiah. That is the significance right there. I wanna say that again. Jesus, as he rode in on the donkey, he was openly declaring himself as the long-awaited Messiah and King. And this leads me to point number one of three points I'm sharing with you. Jesus was openly declaring himself as the Messiah. Please say that with me. Jesus was openly declaring himself as the Messiah. And so he was making it very clear. Now, Zechariah 9 verse 9 is the prophecy that foretold this occasion. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, here it is, your king is coming to you. I love the power of that. He is just having salvation 
lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so it's interesting when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on this day, he was fulfilling a prophecy by Zechariah, which was given almost 500 years before. And I think our God is just so awesome how he prophesies things so long in advance and then they are fulfilled. You know, the wonderful thing is that this is one of so many prophecies in the Word of God that have been fulfilled. The statistics of the likelihood of that are completely impossible. It just shows that it is God. And also, there are many prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled in the Word of God. What a God we serve. And this is the way he's chosen, to let people know long in advance certain things and prophesy, and then he brings it about, and it's to the glory of his name. And so the prophecy said, rejoice. And on that day, was there rejoicing in Jerusalem? Absolutely. The prophecy also said, shout, O daughter. And there was great shouting in that city. There was such a commotion as the shouting took place. The prophecy also said that he would come riding on a donkey and Jesus came in exactly that way, riding on a donkey. But take note, he didn't actually really need to come in on a donkey from a practical sense because he is only a mile or two outside of the city of Jerusalem. But that the prophecy would be fulfilled, Jesus came in on the donkey and fulfilled the prophecy. But most importantly, The prophecy said this, your king is coming to you. Would you say that out aloud with me? Your king is coming to you. Say it a bit louder. Your king is coming to you. And I wanna tell you folks that in that moment, the king of kings, the king of all kings, the king of heaven entered the scene. And you know what? That prophecy was fulfilled right there in that moment. Right there it happened. It was fulfilled. It was the most historic event as this prophecy was fulfilled. And praise God. God is a God that will fulfill what he has spoken. And the prophecy said, your king is coming. And there he came, right into Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. By the way, the act of the spreading of the cloaks that the disciples put over the donkey, that signifies majesty. That signifies royalty, that the king was there. And I wanna say to you in terms of the realization that he is our king, I wanna say loud and clear that there is a king that reigns over the nations of the earth. He is our sovereign king. There is a king that reigns over the continent of Africa. He reigns over Africa. There is a king who reigns over the nation of South Africa, and he does reign over South Africa. And even if our government refuses to acknowledge him as king, that does not change the king's standing. It does not change his status. It does not change his position. He is king. Nobody can take that away from him. And he is our king. Come on, put your hands together. Our king's throne is not under threat in any way. And we know from the end of the book that ultimately we win. There's no doubt about it. And so he is the king and he remains the king. You know what? There will come a day, one day, 
when every person ever born will have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is indeed the King and the Messiah. There will come a day, as surely as I'm speaking to you now, where that will happen. And those that have denied Jesus Christ will have to realize that they have played the fool in their lives and that they will have to acknowledge that this Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the King of glory. Hallelujah! Praise God. He is indeed the King of glory. And so Jesus is our Messiah. Would you say the word Messiah? What does the word Messiah mean? Well, it comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach. Mashiach means anointed. And it usually refers to someone who is consecrated or anointed or set apart for a special purpose. So simply put, it means the following. It means that Jesus, as our Messiah, Jesus is our anointed one. He is the one that was consecrated and set apart for the special purpose to come as our Messiah and our Savior and deliver us and bring us into the experience of his kingdom. And so essentially that's what it means. When it says Messiah, it means anointed one, set apart for a special purpose, and that is the purpose of delivering mankind. Also, what is interesting is that at some point in Jesus' ministry on earth, he needed to acknowledge that he was indeed the Messiah because he couldn't come as the Son of God and spend all this time on earth and not acknowledge himself as the Messiah. Something would have been wrong if he had never acknowledged himself. And so it was quite something that this moment actually happened and that Jesus acknowledged himself. And do you know what? That was also dangerous because the religious leaders, they hated him <laughs> because he was a threat to their little kingdoms which were built on uh, wood, hay, and stubble. Listen to this statement in terms of Jesus declaring himself as the, as the Messiah. It was a dangerous declaration, but silence of Jesus was inconceivable. He could no longer hide that he was the Messiah. And as these crowds were there in Jerusalem in front and behind celebrating him, they were making certain very profound declarations. They were using phrases like, son of David. They were using phrases like, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which clearly indicate that they were recognizing him as the Messiah. And something else which is interesting is that no longer did Jesus tell people to be quiet about him. Because remember, previous times in some of the earlier stories in the Gospels, Jesus would do something or heal someone and he would say, don't tell anybody. Now, kind of keep it quiet and so on. But now, Jesus was no longer keeping his identity quiet. And he basically was saying, you can go ahead, children, young and old, all of you in Jerusalem, you can begin to shout the praises because the King has arrived. The Messiah has arrived. No need to be quiet anymore. And I wanna say this, folks, that one day we will see our King and our Messiah coming on the clouds of glory for us. It will happen. 
I want to tell you that that is not wishful thinking. It will happen for sure. And just as surely as Jesus came into Jerusalem on the donkey and fulfilled the prophecy, as sure as that event took place, so just as sure as that, Jesus will return in the clouds and we will all behold him in great glory with the hosts of heaven and he will come for us. Amen? It is a certainty. There's nothing to be in two minds about. So... The crowds were crying out, Hosanna. What does the word Hosanna mean? It means save us now. Nowadays, it's uh, become almost like a little term of praise. We say Hosanna. It's a term of praise unto God. There's nothing wrong with that. But so they were saying, Hosanna, save us now. What were they meaning? Well, they were expecting that Jesus was now coming to establish his physical kingdom on earth because these Jewish people were under tremendous oppression from the Roman government. They were oppressing them. It was terrible living in that time. It was like a heavy yoke, an oppressive rule. And so they were thinking, great, now we can be set free and Jesus is gonna set up his physical kingdom literally on David's throne here in Jerusalem. But the thing is, Jesus was not coming to do that. Instead, he was coming to establish his spiritual kingdom in the hearts and the minds of believers. Do you see that? Do you realize it? And only the next time when Jesus comes, he comes to establish himself. And so here he was coming to establish himself in a spiritual sense, in people's hearts, in people's minds. And you know what? Sadly, in less than a week, the cries of Hosanna, Hosanna, would change to the cries of crucify him, crucify him. So sad. May you and I not be fickle like that, but maybe when we choose to follow Jesus and worship him, never turn back, no turning back, no being fickle. God, would you help us that we'd be faithful to serve you all the days of our lives, amen? Now, before I move on to point number two, I just wanted to ask this because I was thinking about this in preparing. Uh, I was thinking about the aspect that there were two donkeys. And what was the significance? Because there was the donkey and the colt, according to the scriptures. And you need to look at this not only in Matthew, but Mark, Luke, and John to get the full picture. But I was thinking, why two donkeys? Because actually, didn't Jesus only need one donkey to be able to ride into Jerusalem? And the answer is, well, no one knows for sure, but I had a sense in my heart of what it may be, and I also found uh, one commentary that actually confirmed this. And this is my suggestion to you, that perhaps the two donkeys speak of the two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. I would submit to you that the old donkey speaks of the old covenant and the new donkey or the colt speaks of the new covenant. But take note, it is clear from scripture that Jesus was riding on the colt, that is very clear. 
He was riding on the new donkey. He was riding on the new covenant, signifying that here he was ushering in the new covenant for his people. And no longer would it just be for the Jews, but now it would be to the Jews and the Gentiles and whoever would like to receive of the kingdom of God. And Jesus was ushering in this new covenant. Wow, so beautiful because I believe God does nothing just by chance, soma, soma. And so I would submit to you that maybe that could be an interpretation for those two donkeys. Now, point number two. Are you still with me, church? Everyone with me? Okay. Number two, God still intends for his house to be a house of prayer. Why don't you say that with me? God still intends for his house to be a house of prayer. Now, when Jesus, then after coming into Jerusalem, the first thing he did is he went into the temple. Am I right? Now, when he went into the temple, he went and cleansed the temple. By the way, this is the second time that he had done it. He had done it earlier in his ministry. And when he did that, he was actually affirming his lordship over the temple because it's his temple. It's, it's his father's house, if I can put it that way. And the very designs of that temple were given through inspiration by God. And so here, Jesus was rightly asserting that this is his temple, that he owned it. And immediately, as he set things in order, he then immediately restored prayer to its rightful place. Please say prayer. So he first comes in and he restores prayer to his rightful place. And by the way, after all, the temple was originally intended to be the place of sacred communion between God and his people. And something had been lost. And so Jesus comes in, the first thing, he says, this is a place of prayer. And it says in Matthew 21 verse 13, and Jesus said to them, yeah, he puts it in order, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, what is prayer all about? Well, it's basically about staying connected to the vine. It's about continual fellowship, continual relationship with God. That's what prayer is about. But a little question here. In terms of the temple of God, what is God's temple today or where is God's house or temple nowadays? Where do we consider his temple to be? And the answer I would submit to you is actually twofold. The one aspect is this, that you and I, we are the temples of God. Because don't forget, on the day of Pentecost, the flame moved from the Ark of the Covenant in the temple and it moved to being above the people of God, signifying now the temple had shifted and we, you and I, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. That's why you should glorify your God in your body because it belongs to Him. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, in terms of this, in the same way that Jesus overturned the tables of the money changes in the physical temple, if there are traces in our heart of mammon and love for mammon, God wants to overturn those tables in your heart because he knows the temple cannot function properly when it's trying to serve mammon and God. You have to settle that once and for all. Come on, anyone getting that? So the answer is twofold of the temple. Firstly, it's you and I. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, but also, 
When we gather together, we are God's corporate house. Even when we're not together all over the place, we're the body of Christ and so on. But when you and I come together and all the little temples come and we're gathered together in the house of worship, you know what? That is so glorious. And therefore we can say that we are in God's house. We are in God's temple. Can I get an amen? But take note of this. Our personal temples should be houses of prayer. Prayer is something that should become part of your lifestyle. When little things come up, you pray. When big things come up, you pray. You love to talk to God. You wake up in the morning. The first thing when you lift your head, you say, good morning, Lord. (laughs) Good morning, Holy Spirit. And so our personal temples should be places of prayer. But our corporate temples should also be places of prayer and intercession. And that's why it was so lovely that we were praying just now together as the body here this morning. And I believe that if there's only seldom times when we pray in church, we are missing something because God says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, amen? Just another interesting thing is that after reinstating prayer, Jesus then began to heal. So he first comes in, chases out all these people, then he restores prayer, and then he begins to heal. I believe that God's house should be a place of healing, not only of emotional healing, but of physical healing. But what is quite interesting is that it is significant that the blind and the lame were permitted to come into the temple. Because do you know that there were certain ceremonial laws that excluded them from worship in the temple because they weren't whole. Somebody was blind, somebody who couldn't walk properly, and they thought you can't have people like that coming into the presence of the temple. How sad is that? But now, Jesus changes it. He sets everything right, and he invites the lame and the blind to come into the temple area, and he lays hands on them, and he heals them. And I think to myself, what a wonderful God we serve. What a wonderful God we serve. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise, amen. And so it's amazing how Jesus, the Messiah, was now welcoming the lame and the blind right into the temple, saying, come on in, this is your place. Point number three, which is my last point. Before I mention that, just to recap one and two. Number one, Jesus was openly declaring himself as the Messiah. Number two, God still intends his house to be a house of prayer. Number three, Jesus longs to make a triumphal entry into your heart. Please say that with me. Jesus longs to make a triumphal entry into your heart. Do you know that the same way in which Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem on that day, he should be welcomed into our hearts in that way with with wonderful praise and and reception and, and great joy. He should also be welcomed into our homes Come on, heads of homes, you need to be making sure that God is feeling welcome in your homes. 
God needs to be welcomed into our churches that way. I believe some churches do not make God feel welcome, but I believe that also God should be welcomed into our cities like he was welcomed into Jerusalem on that day. And I just wanna say, as a pastor in Pretoria, I wanna say, Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you into the city of Pretoria Tswani with celebrations and shouts and praise. And we say, take up your rightful place here in our Jerusalem in Pretoria Tswani. God, you are welcome in this city. God, you are welcome. But most importantly, he comes to enter into our hearts. The people in the day were thinking he's coming to set up the physical kingdom, but he was coming to set up the spiritual kingdom where God would come into the hearts and minds of those who would believe. And Jesus had come to enter into hearts of men and hearts of women. That's what the Bible says in Colossians 1 verse 27. It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. <laughs> Let me just read that in the message translation. It says, the mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you. Would you please say that with me? Christ is in you. One more time, a little louder. Christ is in you. Therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That is the substance of our message. Christ is in you. Many people don't realize this. They don't understand it. But Jesus came to live inside of us. And that's why the, the old uh, Christmas carol says, let every heart prepare him room. Because that's where he came to rule and reign in the hearts of men and women. And I wanna say this as I'm drawing to a close that when Jesus makes a triumphal entry into your heart, he comes not to sit in the corner, but he comes to rule and to reign in your heart. He comes with his lordship that should be received because either he is Lord of all of your heart or he is not Lord at all. I wanna tell you, there's people that God is speaking to today that it's time to be sold out to God and let him have your entire heart. And so I wanna say, let him reign in your heart. Now I wanna ask you a question for everyone that's here and in the overflow hall, everyone listening to me today, listening online right now, have you ever allowed Jesus to make a triumphal entry into your heart? Think about that. I wanna say that again, especially for the sake of people who need to hear it, need to respond. Have you ever allowed Jesus to make a triumphal entry into your heart? And if you haven't done so, I wanna invite you to receive your King today. You know what? You can let him ride into your heart like he rode into Jerusalem. You can lay down your garments as a sense of worship to the king. And in your heart, you can wave these spiritual palm branches and you can say, I want to receive my king. And so folks, if you've never received Jesus to make a triumphal entry into your heart, to be your Messiah and your king, your anointed one who delivers you, I'd like to lead you in a brief prayer right now. And I invite you to pray this prayer, meaning business with God today. 
It's a short prayer, which I invite to repeat after, uh, after me, phrase by phrase. And can I ask that we all just close our eyes for a moment. And I do wanna invite that we all pray this prayer aloud for the sake of those that are praying it perhaps for the first time. It's a short prayer. And would you please pray this prayer, meaning it with every fiber of your being. This is a prayer of salvation. This is a prayer to receive King Jesus. Pray this after me out aloud. Lord Jesus Christ, I repent of my sins. I place my faith in you. I open my heart to you. Please enter into my heart triumphantly as my King and my Savior. I wave the palm branches as you come in. I lay down my garments as you come in, but I receive you as my King and as my Messiah. Thank you for saving me. And now I choose to live for you 100% in Jesus' name, amen. And so Father, just as I close off the service in prayer, we wanna thank you for what you have done today. I have no doubt in my heart that you have worked and moved by your Spirit. I have no doubt that you have touched hearts and lives and you have impacted so many people. And so Lord, we say to you be the glory, the honor, the wisdom, the dominion, the power and the glory forever and ever. And we all say amen and amen.